Thanks so much for downloading and listening to a Quick Timeout podcast. On this episode, NBA shooting coach Dave Love checks in with us to share some of the micro habits needed to become a great shooter. I want to actually start this episode by giving Coach Love and his online content a plug. What you're going to hear today in, in the interview is just really a small sample of the great stuff he has available, and a lot of it he has available for free. So once you're done listening to this episode, go give him a follow. I think we'd all agree that shooting is one of maybe even arguably the most important skill in today's game, and the advice that Coach Love gives will instantly make you a better teacher of the skill of shooting, so I'm excited for you to hear this interview. One last thing, thank you so much to all of you who've been sharing the podcast with your friends. It's been great to see the community of coaches growing, so thank you for that. Now on to this week's interview with Coach Dave Love. Thanks to Twitter, I've been an admirer from afar of today's guest. Many of you are probably familiar with Coach Dave Love, NBA shooting coach. Coach, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Our conversation today is going to focus primarily on high school and college players, uh, understanding that some of what we talk about will be applicable to every level. And this first question is is one of those questions that applies across the board. Uh, how much of shooting is mechanics and then how much of it is, quote unquote, the mental? Well, well, they go hand in hand that uh, you you can't have confidence or uh belief, I guess confidence is the best word, without having seen results. And so to see results, your mechanics probably have to be pretty reasonable. And, uh, and, and then the confidence develops. So once you're at that level and, and, and you shoot the ball well, then it can become 50-50 where uh, you can just have had a week where you're not sleeping well for whatever reasons, or you have things going on in your personal life, and that can affect uh, the way that you perform. But for most players that just historically struggle with shooter shooting, I think it starts with the mechanics. One of the reasons that I ask is from time to time, we'll have players that get into one of those shooting slumps, those struggling periods that you just referred to. And this may kind of sound strange, but is every shooting slump the same? I guess what I mean is, is the diagnosis essentially the same for all slumps? No, they're probably all completely different that uh, uh, you first need to figure out why uh, they're in the slump. Is it a mechanical issue? It has something changed uh, in the way that they shoot the basketball or is it something um, emotional or, uh, uh, or more cerebral? And, uh, and then you need to sort of work within that problem. Um, I do find that there tend to be, especially at the high level, there can be mechanical errors that happen. I've, I had a player with one NBA team that I didn't work with, but I'd been around for, for three years and he wasn't shooting the ball well for an extended period of time. And, uh, and I saw a difference. And because I'd been around him for three years and, and seen what he looks like when he shoots the ball well, and now he's struggling, I saw a difference between what was had happened historically and what was happening now. And uh, and we spent just 15 minutes talking about what uh, what the differences were, and then working on them. And then he thought about them in the pregame warm up, and then broke out of a slump that night that it can be that quick if if it is mechanical. Do you feel like you address more mechanical issues or the mental issues, or is it just case by case? 
again, they go, they kind of go hand in hand. So I will address, uh, I, I, I believe I'm really good at the mechanical, uh, but you have to acknowledge the, uh, the emotional as well. And, uh, and sometimes that just means taking the pressure off the, the player, like, Hey, let's, let's not forget historically, you've been really good at this skill and that hasn't gone away in six days. And we know it's going to come back. So let's just let's just do our work, and uh, and and open up our hearts for lack of a better expression, so that uh, that it's easier for it to come back. And sometimes just taking that pressure off can be be enough. I would think that that speaks to the importance of knowing your players and spending time with them and understanding what's going on in their lives, just like you alluded to. I mean, there may be stuff going off the court that isn't necessarily apparent for coaches immediately on the court. Right. And, and you do need to get to know the, uh, the player. I don't need to know everything about them. I know there are some people that believe that like you need to be their best friend and, uh, you, you need to have a strong enough relationship that you can tell when something's wrong and, and hopefully have a relationship where they, they may not need to confide in you and what, what is going on, but just ideally admit that yeah something's not quite right like i'm going through some stuff uh personally okay perfect let me know if there's anything i can do to help like do you need anything from me um hopefully you're always building that relationship where the player trusts you uh otherwise they're not going to commit to a change that you suggest talking about diagnosing a shot i feel like shooting is one of those things in basketball that a person even a fan can tell when it's not quite right but if you were to ask that same person to tell you specifically what's not right about it and how to correct it, they may not necessarily be able to communicate it to the shooter. Do you agree with that? And if so, how does a coach get better at doing that? Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of armchair shooting coaches out there, just like there are armchair quarterbacks and uh, everything else. It's really easy to sit back and say, you know, I, something's not quite right about it or potentially even know what's not quite right. But now you are still only ten uh, percent toward uh, towards the solution. That now, can you develop a strong enough relationship with the player to convince them to to make a change? Can you have a plan on uh, on how to relearn a habit and develop a new habit and uh, and apply that into a game situation? That seeing what is wrong is really only uh, a fraction of the, uh, the equation itself and, uh, and videotape can lie, game video can lie. Uh, you really need to see the person in person to, uh, uh, to really know. I was wondering for you specifically how much film that you watch or how much, you know, watching of other players, just, just watching, not necessarily always talking, correcting, but like how much watching do you do? The reason I ask is I made this comment to a group of, of uh, aspiring coaches about a week ago that oftentimes correcting a skill is almost like, you know, working with counterfeit money. You don't study all of the potential errors that can go wrong. And that's how you identify something bad. Like you watch great shooters. Do you think of it that way? Or is it just something that I'm thinking specifically for younger coaches? So I'm not talking about coach love, the guy who's been in it for years, but like when you first started, what were the ways that you kind of honed that that craft of being able to identify the correct shooting mechanics, teach the right shooting mechanics, recognize poor shooting mechanics, everything that goes into being a great shooting coach? 
Yeah, wa- watching is is awesome, and I can't shut off that side of my brain now. The uh, the second I see the ninety year old grandma uh, of a player shoot a shot, I'm diagnosing <laughs> what what might be causing the miss. And uh, so that that is always going on. But uh, watching is great. But the key is developing tools uh, to help get a player from where they they currently are to where they need to be. And so with each player you work with, you develop a tool or a pathway to get them from point A to point B. And then so with the first player that I worked with on an ongoing basis, as opposed to just uh, one lesson and then you never see them again. The first player that I worked with an, on an ongoing basis, I developed a pathway to get him from 55% from the free throw line to 72% in one year and then 80% the next year and then becoming a 38% three-point shooter. So perfect. I had one pathway that worked for one guy. And then I worked with the second player and tried to fit them onto that same pathway, but they're a different person with different habits. And so you can pull some of the information from the first path to the second player, but you need to invent another, you need to find another route. And, uh, and so you, you, the paths may look similar. There may be uh, parts that are identical, but you veer off the path because you've got a different person that you're working with. And now you've got two pathways and then you add a third player. And uh, and they veer off entirely, and now you've got a third, and you're just you're you're developing different ways as a coach to get different people to their location. And in the beginning, you start off probably trying to fit people into your box that you try and mold them into what you want them to be. And then I think with experience and working with players, you learn how to correct the individual just because you have more tools at your disposal. Is there necessarily a, a mental checklist that you're going through um, when you're you're looking for the right components of what that shot needs to look like? A hundred percent. Yeah. About six years ago, I had a physical checklist. And so I basically had a sheet that I listed every possible bad, good and bad habit and would watch a player shot and be able to check off the kid. They do this, they do that, they do that. And my goal was to be able to, to check everything off, not see that player for a year and a half and be able to look at the notes and recreate what their shot would have looked like based on the notes that I had from, from checking these things off. Okay, the, their feet were narrow, their right foot was pigeon-toed, uh, they tended to uh, to be a diamond shooter, and this is all my lingo. Other people may not know what these mean, but but I know they're a diamond shooter. Uh, the ball goes back over their head, and they have an incomplete follow through. And then I could look at those notes, and then be able to imitate fairly accurately what that player would look like. Uh, and so that physical checklist, I just went through it so many times. Now it's in my head. I just know. Okay, what does, how does their ball spin? Like, how does the ball react out of their hand? What's the trajectory? Based on what I'm seeing there, what are the potential habits that could cause the mistakes that I'm seeing? The ball doesn't spin properly. Okay, which direction is it spinning? What typically causes that kind of spin? And it's a little bit flat. What would cause flat? Perfect. Now you're getting an idea of what you need to be looking for Okay, what part of their body is causing a flat shot? What part of their mechanics is causing it to be flat and spin uh, incorrectly? And 
and now you're you're on your way to diagnosing what you need to be working on to improve. This may be too large of a sample, but for the high school or college age players, you talked about some of those good habits and bad habits. What are some of the most common bad habits that you're addressing or correcting for that age group? The two big ones are bad balance and they don't shoot the middle of the basketball. So uh, bad balance, I think we all sort of understand that we, we're, we're not in a physical position to be able to stop the negative energy that we create moving on the floor and keep our shot as simple as possible. They're, they're not in a physical position to be able to do that. And then by shooting the middle of the ball, I mean just being able to push both sides of the ball evenly with one hand, which causes the ball to go straight. If you push one side of the ball more than the other, the ball goes in the opposite direction, or you need another bad habit to push the ball in the opposite direction to cancel the first mistake out. And you end up with a complicated shot. And that that description is every single 12-year-old in the world, that they, they shoot a significantly or at least slightly two-handed shot where shooting hand is pushing the ball one direction, non-shooting hand is pushing the ball the other direction, trying to cancel those things out. And that's why 12-year-olds aren't great shooters. Um, and hopefully we're getting to the point as we grow and 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 uh, gain size and, and strength and experience that we're simplifying that. But uh, young players all, aren't always great at wanting to simplify. They want to do more complex things. You talked about the hands and the importance of the hands, and obviously the whole body is important. But you know, I, I frequently see thumb shooters or, like you said, the hand mispositioned. Have you ever used any kind of like straps or equipment to correct any player's mechanics? I, uh, I don't. I tend to avoid using those kind of tools because eventually you have to take them off, anyways. So if you have a strap uh, on, then eventually you're going to have to take the strap off and learn to apply whatever habit the strap was teaching you without the strap. So I just try and jump right to that. Hold accountable to to building the correct habit and the correct, correct accountability uh, to the habit that, and usually, especially with guide hand issues, you get all these contraptions that help you get your guide hand off the ball, but they don't actually address the problem, which is your shooting hand is out of position. The only reason your guide hand is pushing, or once you're, once you're strong enough, the only reason your guide hand is pushing is because your shooting hand is pushing the ball offline. And if you're going to, address your guide hand without addressing the shooting hand, then all you're going to do is expose the true mistake as opposed to fixing the, the true mistake from the beginning and then learning to apply the better habit. You've alluded to this several times, but just that power or generating more force, is there a way to do that without sacrifice? And I'm thinking at the high school levels and maybe even the college, but I feel like they're mature enough and their bodies have developed enough. Is there a way to develop or increase force without sacrificing any of the mechanics at the younger ages? Is there a way? Yes. And it's just, this is what I mean. You, you just talked about like the 12 year old. And of course the 12 year olds you walk into, especially like a week of camp mm -hmm. and where's the first place they go. It's not even the three point line. They're like running to the half court line and hoisting shots. Right, right. Just being able to shoot. I mean, is there a way to, to teach generating more force without sacrificing those mechanics at the younger ages? 
Yeah, the unfortunate part about shooting is we all develop these habits when we're 8, 10, 12 years old. We start with the habits of a of a shot that is working against us. And then hopefully we're developing better habits over time. But as we talked about earlier, a lot of players they get to they get to good and then they stop developing and they they don't keep simplifying until they get to great. Uh, so what are the, some of the things that we can do to to simplify? Just find the synchronization in our body, get everything working together as opposed to pushing with your legs and then there's a pause and then your arm lifts. Uh, getting those two pieces synchronized together uh, can add power, add range without sacrificing accuracy. And just understand what... Um, what actually helps you make shots and i think we've got a lot of uh a lot of ideas that in my mind are actually commonly taught and working against our goal they yeah they add power but they sacrifice accuracy as you're as you're talking about so um just knowing what those are and just looking at with a critical eye of yes this happens and get yes steph curry actually does this happen habit but does it actually contribute to makes or does it contribute to misses? And I think we have a lot of misteaching out there. When I walk into high school and college gyms, whether it's practice or pregame warmups, I see a lot of catch and shoot practice. Are, are we doing a disservice to kids by essentially layering shooting from catch and shoot to one dribble to multiple dribbles and maybe sometimes requiring them to be good catch and shoot players before we move on to one of those other layers? Um, I don't know that that's necessarily a disservice. If I'm taking broad strokes, that's probably similar to what I try to do. I try to, to layer and go with the general theory that you can't be good at something diffi more difficult until you're good at the simple piece of it. So I think being a good catch and shoot shooter does lead to being better off the dribble, but that's with very broad strokes that I'm speaking. You're going to get people that, uh, that for whatever reason, they excel in the more difficult situation than they do in the simple. And there's usually a physical reason why, and hopefully you're addressing that, but, uh, I think the general idea of what you're saying isn't a bad place to start. It's then just can you look at the individual and and treat them as opposed to just trying to fit them in this box. Along with those layers, I have players who come to me uh, at the college level and you know, as you get up to the higher levels, everything kind of decreases. And what I mean by that is your time to be able to be open at the high school level is totally different from being open at college is totally different from being open at the high school or at the NBA level. So based off of that, developing faster shots, is there anything other than practicing faster, I guess, is probably a poor way to put it, but is there anything specific we can do to either communicate getting your shot off faster or even mechanically, are there things that, that players can do to kind of cut out those dead seconds to be able to get yeah. their shot off faster? I try and avoid talking about shooting it faster. Um, what I try to talk about is shooting it more efficiently. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to get you to rush your shooting motion. I'm trying to get you 
to have a compact, efficient shooting motion and uh, and then be able to shoot it at your tempo. So you shooting it at, at your tempo may be four tenths of a second and you rushing it, like sh- trying to shoot it faster might get you to, to three tenths of a second, but decrease your percentage by uh, a significant amount. So I'm fine with 0.4. I don't need it to be 0.3 if I'm going to get 20% more makes. We just need to be making sure that that 0.4 is, is efficient, that, it, that it's actually a 0.4 and that we're not wasting a bunch of time um, before we actually start the clock on the, uh, the shot. So, so I focus on efficiency within it, which is not dissimilar from what you're saying, but it's, it's not speeding up the motion of shooting. Is there anything specifically you talk about to make it more efficient? I think all the same things that, uh, that a lot of coaches will talk about being shot ready, trying to get feet set on or before the catch, as opposed to after the catch, uh, trying to get into a body position, um, limiting a dip. Uh, I know that's a big hot topic to me. It, it depends on the player and the, the shot, uh, whether I allow a dip in, in certain situations. And, uh, and then having the shooting motion be as many straight lines as you possibly can. This is the last major topic, free throw shooting. To me, it seems like it's undertaught. And I, I don't know why, because it's possibly again, in my opinion, one of the simplest skills in basketball when it comes to like the number of, of micro skills that it takes to be successful. Am I oversimplifying it, what it takes to be a consistent free throw shooter? To be a consistent free throw shooter? No. I think that's a, uh, uh, that it's simplifying your habits and then putting in work. And then uh, to becoming a great free throw shooter, it's just those micro ha- or micro skills, micro habits, just like can you can you make them even more simple? Okay, you're good now. Are you willing to spend some time making them great, or are you going to settle for good? I think that's the hardest skill in shooting is the drive to to go from good to great. It's it's way harder to go from eighty percent to ninety percent from the free throw line than it is to go from 40 to 75. 40 to 75 is is possible and doable. It's really difficult to get a player motivated to go from 80 to 90 because it's just all these tiny little things. It's really easy to say those aren't significant. So uh, going back to the free throws, at that point, it's just getting more reps and better quality reps uh, in more game situations and then hopefully developing the confidence uh, through that, that, uh, that you can walk to the line just knowing this, this ball is going in. When practicing free throws, do you feel like a pressure element is needed to really improve a free throw shooter's consistency during those games? Yeah, it's just, it's just really hard to create a true uh, pressure situation in practice. That it's like, how do you create a false a uh, situation that a player really, really cares about, like they will in a game. How do you create a situation where there's true judgment, like there is in front of a crowd and in front of your teammates and opponents? Like when we're putting a score up on a scoreboard, like that's 
it's so hard to replicate that situation like again it's it's impossible in fact you you can't do it because it's you can only have the pressure of a game in a game and we can do all these things to try and we should be doing all these things to try but it's just so hard i was going to initially ask you about drills but i'd rather you just kind of direct people towards the resources that you have available because i know you have a lot of these kinds of things already out there so you know whether it's your twitter handle or your website or your newsletter like what's the best way to find out more about the kinds of things that you teach your players i would head to coachdavelove.com i've got my newsletter sign up there and i've got a year's worth of free content uh all the what i teach and why uh for free uh through that newsletter and it's now customizable where you can actually pick topics that you want to learn about, like how to, how to improve your arc, how to get your guide hand off the ball, how to improve your balance, uh, all these different ideas. And I'm constantly adding to that. But then visit the store. Uh, what I think I do really well is drills to improve the way that you shoot the basketball as opposed to drills to just get you shots. And, uh, and so my workouts, I, I've now built three different workouts that are, are seven-day workouts with very simple drills to begin with to relearn better habits. Learn to get your guide hand off the basketball. Uh, learn to improve your balance. Learn to improve your arc. And so these, these workout programs will be seven days worth of drills each. Uh, with video and, uh, and all the tips that I would give to, uh, to help players uh, actually improve those habits. So head to coachdavelove.com. And then I heard you're joining up with Chris Oliver this summer for a clinic. Is that right? Yeah. Somebody that I've really admired and gotten to know over the last uh, four or five years uh, who who has a, a great, he's probably the le- foremost expert in incorporating decision training and a games-like approach into your uh into your practice and somebody that i'm really trying to challenge myself to improve uh that aspect of my coaching uh as well and so chris and i are doing a uh, a weekend retreat in palm desert california uh in early may and if people are listening to this in later on then uh we're hoping that we're going to be doing this every six months or so so you can uh uh, DM me on social media, Coach Dave Love, or uh, message me on my newsletter to get more information on those. Awesome. And in the future, I, I'm going to try to get you over here on the East Coast. That way I can get to one too. So we can talk about that later. But let me publicly say thank you for all you that you do for coaches and has been a huge help to me. I've personally got a, a ton of nuggets from you. And so uh, I really appreciate all that you do and, and, and for taking the time to talk to us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thank you for saying nice things. It's been great to get to know you a little bit here as well. Thank you. A quick timeout podcast is brought to you by 323 Sports. If you're looking for a team dealer with great prices, top of the line apparel, and second to none customer service, then 323 Sports has to be your choice. 323 Sports will do it right for you and your sports program. Visit 323sports.com or contact sales at 323sports.com to get in contact with a team rep today. Just really quickly, if you haven't heard yet about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other platforms so your show actually gets heard. You can even make money from your podcast no matter the size of your audience. 
It really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.